Recognize that sound, that voice, that's the tuba. It can only be the tuba. And that's being noodled by a tuba virtuoso, Arnold Jacobs, who's the principal tuba, the only one of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. He's been a teacher of brass instruments for students who've come from all over the world. And as Arnold is noodling, seated around the big studio, other tuba virtuosi, Harvey Phillips, who's a master of this instrument, teaching at Indiana University in Bloomington, and he's known as the impresario of the tuba, and he organized big events across the country, like Tuba Christmas, and more about Harvey and Arnold as we go along. And Fritz Kainzig is here. He's the principal tuba of the Grant Park Symphony, teaches at the University of Illinois Circle Campus. And Richard Frazier, who was a guest before, a member, moving force of the Chicago Chamber Brass, has got a recital coming up tomorrow night. And so, as we hear Arnold Jacobs noodling, <laughs> he can't, I hear him pressing those valves. <laughs> can't get him away from the tuba. Arnold, the big question is, you're the dean of tuba players. You and Harvey are here, and, and the two younger players are here, Richard Frazier and Fritz Kainzig. I was thinking, somehow we don't associate the tuba with symphonic music. There's a, rep there's a repertory, of, a repertoire of that, isn't there? I wish more people did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in other words, the violinists, of course, are the most prominent in there, but uh, we tuba players, thanks to Harvey and friends of his, we're finding our place in the sun. And we are important on the bottom. Somewhere there has to be a bottom to the brass section, and that's me. And so you were uh, way back, it was at Curtis Institute. Well, you have a good memory, or somebody must, because yeah. I started there about 1930, yeah. and I think I was there for about six and a half years. Uh, it seems a long time to me even now. God, I've been with the Chicago Symphony for 43 years. I was in the Pittsburgh Orchestra for five years before that, yeah. Indianapolis two years yeah. before that, and all those years at the Curtis Institute. Well, we always say tuba, and at least to Harvey Phillips. You know, Harvey is one of the... I know... He and his good friend Alec Wilder, that marvelous American composer, have uh, responsible for much that is original in American music, too. So there is a tuba repertory, isn't there, Harvey? Oh, we're very proud of uh, what we're achieving in, in recent years. First of all, you have to, to realize that the tuba did not evolve until 1835, so we lost out, or the composers Bach and Handel and Mozart and Beethoven and others of that vintage lost out because they didn't have a tuba to write for. Uh, and the tuba, we're very proud to, to say, is one of the two solo voices of the symphony orchestra, the other being the harp. And since 1835, when the tuba was immediately brought into the symphony, it's been one of the grand instruments of, of the brass and wind family. Unfortunately, we didn't get a concerto until 1954. Well, not to, let me ask you why. Why no tuba till 1835? Was there some sort of new invention that took place with the yes, tuba? Yes, the valve the had valve. to be invented before we could have a chromatic bass instrument. And so from then on, there's, but there was no tuba concerto t for, for 130 years or so. Well, you see, in the 19th century, most of the composers were so taken with writing large, grand orchestral pieces, and there were really very uh, few chamber works for either winds or brass written in the 19th century and, and very little solo literature for winds or brass. Yeah. I was thinking, Fritz, you and Richard Frazier, 
I imagine the names of Arnold Jacobs and Harvey Phillips mean a great deal to you. Oh, absolutely. I've studied with Mr. Jacobs for uh, oh, 15 or 20 years now. He was one of my heroes growing up, listening to the Chicago Symphony recordings with Fritz Reiner. But boy, what a sound. And then, of course, uh, once I started getting very interested in the tuba, uh, to listen to the solo records that came out, Harvey Phillips had uh, a lot of the early recordings responsible for a lot of the uh, new repertoire that's happened for our instrument, solo repertoire, since yeah. that 1954 concerto. Yes, I'm thinking, Richard Frazier, I know you, you helped arrange this get-together here, but chamber brass, I'm thinking again, just as you and Fritz are contemporaries, the two guys seated with you here are really key figures in the, you know, Harvey Phillips and Arnold Jacobs, key figures in the whole matter of the tuba and symphonic music. Indeed, it's an honor to uh, be here in their presence. And uh, these two men have, uh, have, have defined the word tuba in sound to our generation. Now, what is it preceded, the tuba? There was an instrument with a, with a quite fascinating name of serpent. What's a serpent? Well, a serpent is a, uh, was a type of instrument that was developed as, as sort of the base instrument of the shawm or uh, cornet, uh, an instrument that, oddly enough, it was like a flute in that it had finger holes, but it was played with a mouthpiece like, like a, a trumpet mouthpiece. And the bass instrument was so long that uh, the player couldn't reach all the finger holes. And so they had to curl it up in a rather serpentine fashion. And it was called the serpent, even in sophisticated circles. And we have some serpent music today. We'd like to... We'd serpent like to music? Yes, these things are still around. <laughs> when, what are we going to hear now? This is a piece from the uh, Royal Fireworks Music. It's actually been arranged for this group, the London Serpent Trio. This is a little march. I was thinking, hearing the serpent, we've got to ask our, our two uh, our two, two virtuosi here, Arnold Jacobs and Harvey Phillips. Did you guys ever play the serpent? Or I've tried. Yeah. I gave a lesson to a young man who was a bassoon player, and he was starting to learn the serpent. He bought a kit and made it himself. And uh, with him fingering and my handling the mouthpiece, we made some music. But when I had to finger it, I just couldn't make it. And I really didn't much care for the sound either. <laughs> I was just telling Harvey, we tried the Ophiclide too, and the only note I liked was when everything was closed, it went downhill. As you opened the uh, valves, it sounded like a water key opening yeah. up on a tuba. Uh -huh. So I just didn't have the patience to go back 200 years. You know, you know when, I, when I think of the tuba, my first reaction as a kid, you know, I don't associate with, with symphony music. I think of circus music, the tuba. And of course, Harvey Phillips' own saga, isn't it? He ran off to join the circus. Well, I didn't exactly run off. I mean, everyone knew where I was going. But uh, it was a great opportunity for me because uh, in those days, uh, the circus carried a band. And of course, the great bandmaster, Merle Evans, uh, was supreme in the circus world. And uh, at that time, we would play every kind of music you could imagine. We'd play the Ride of the Valkyries to bring the flying act out, and we'd play some ascending music uh, to get them up on the wire. We'd play a Strauss waltz, and we'd play a jazz number for the clowns to do a walk around. And it was great training for me uh, to do freelance work later on in New York, where you had to cope with every kind of music. But, but you left, you came from a small town of Missouri, and you were 15. That's right. When you ran off to join the circus, <laughs> I like that. 
Yes. Well, incidentally, the tuba, what led you to tuba? Arnold and you, Harvey, and we'll come to Richard and Fritz later. So many of us were put on it by bandmasters. I was a trombone player, and I lost my trombone while traveling in the country. It fell off the side of the running board of an old Hudson, I think it was a 29 touring car, and disappeared when I got back to school in Santa Monica at Washington Junior High. Bandmaster said, we don't have another trombone to loan you, but we, can, we have a brand new King sousaphone. So I tried it, and I was an instant success. They made me first tuba of the band, you know, and <laughs> I've been stuck with it ever since. So losing a tuba, losing a trombone out of a Hudson, 1925 Hudson, led you to be the tuba virtuoso. <laughs> so we think, now you two younger players, uh, Fritz and, and Richard, what led you to tuba? That's interesting. Well, I guess uh, the tuba kind of picked me, I always like to say, because I didn't really uh, choose it, per se. I'd played piano for a number of years, and then I took... Uh, uh, general music in seventh grade, and the band director was impressed with uh, uh, how much I seemed to uh, do in music. So he asked me uh, when they needed a tuba player the next year. Asked his daughter who might be a good one to get to play in the band, and she suggested me. And he said, "Well, that seems pretty good. He did all right in the general music class." And when he asked me to play, I thought, "Well, it's as good as any other instrument." And his daughter's kind of cute, so I dated his daughter for a year, and and uh, still date the tuba now, uh, 20 years later. <laughs> and you and the tuba, Richard. Chicago well, Brass. like everyone else, I was sort of impressed into the service of the tuba. Uh, I had, I didn't play a band instrument, and I, I was going to a country school in Texas, and I played the steel guitar and the harmonica, and and uh, as I then I transferred to a bigger high school. They had oh, I had at least 300 people in this high school, and they had a band program that was fantastic. Over 100 people were in the band, and. Uh, and since they, there were no steel guitar harmonica parts in the band, I, uh, I, I yeah. was uh, given the tuba. Yeah, to I was play. thinking, you know, one of the popular songs I heard as a kid, now when, when was that popular? Yuba plays the tuba. When Yuba, was that in the 30s? 30s. It was the 30s. In the 30s. And so, what do you think? Later on, we'll talk about the history of the tuba, what it means to different countries and different societies. But what about Yuba plays to Harvey? Back in the 30s. Well, I think it was a grand uh, song. It was a lot of fun to, to uh, play and a lot of fun to hear. And uh, that's one of the characteristics of our instrument uh, that we want very much to share with the general public. It's, it's uh, a challenge. Uh, our range of the tuba encompasses over half the piano keyboard. It's a, it's a grand singing voice. And uh, to uh, hear William Bell, for example, uh, with Leopold Stokowski perform this with the New York Philharmonic uh, is quite a treat. But before we hear that, is there, before we hear the William Bell, is another, another Yuba tuba, Richard? Well, I ran across a friend of mine, Rich Marco. He has, you know, Rich Studs. I, mm -hmm. uh, he has a, a show on, and he found the original recording of Yuba Plays the Rumble on the Tuba with Joe Tarto doing it. And so we thought we'd We'd listen to that and then listen to another version by William Bell that was done with Stokowski and the New York Philharmonic. A couple of Yubas. Let's fade out on this Yuba playing the tuba. And we'll take a little break here. We're seated with Arnold Jacobs, who's the principal tuba player of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and the, one of the most highly respected teachers around and about. And Harvey Phillips, equally so, teaching the tuba at Indiana University in Bloomington. 
And I, was, I can't get over there leaving home to join the circus at 15. <laughs> and, and Fritz Koenzig, who is the principal tuba of the Grant Park Orchestra and teaches in Mercy, Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, and Richard Fraser. Perhaps, uh, before we take our break, just a word from Harvey and Arnold about that theme. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean the, uh, the lyricism of the instrument. Uh, and, of course, the, the, no basso or... T or uh, baritone could ever have the range that the instrument has. No, they can't sing as low as we play, they can't sing as high as we play. And uh, this is a, a great discovery for a lot of composers today because they're utilizing the complete range. And uh, for example, the second movement of the great Ralph Vaughan Williams tuba concerto, the Romanza movement, gives the tuba a chance to, to sing uh, like any operatic voice would uh, hope to sing. Arnold, you going to add that? I think it's very important that the tuba sing because it's a reflection of the thoughts of the player. Mm. And uh, singing is extremely important. It provides stimuli in the brain for reflexes in the embouchure and your tissues. And the more you sing in the head, the better chance you have of playing great tuba. We'll take our break now and ask more about that and also the tuba in different societies too after this break. And then we're resuming with our four guests here in the big studio. The subject is the tuba, the tuba and classical repertoire, though we're hearing Yuba also. Arnold Jacobs and Harvey Phillips and Fritz Kensick and Richard Fraser. We'd heard one Yuba. Now we've got Bill Bell. What's the, uh, what will be the significance? How will this differ, or should we hear it first? Uh, this recording, I believe, was made in 1950, or 1951, perhaps. And uh, it was for a program that Stokowski had put together to especially entertain children. And uh, Bill Bell was in a state of shock when he got a call from Leopold Stokowski uh, asking him at his, if he would please perform this, uh, Yuba plays the rumbo on the tuba with the orchestra for the children. And I think you'll hear a grand performance. I want to tell you a secret about Mr. Bell. You know, it occurred to me, you, met, you spoke of singing a voice, singing tone. Uh, Bill Bell here, this virtuoso who influenced so many other tuba players, was singing here. Do you guys sing too? Oh, I think every tuba player sings. Yeah. Arnold Jacobs I has a beautiful voice. voice. Yeah. That's interesting. Years, yes. I was offered a scholarship at the Curtis Institute in the vocal department after being there six years as an instrumentalist. And I did sing for quite a number of years, and I still teach a certain amount of singing. I only teach resonance and respiration, but uh, not literature, not repertoire. Yeah. But I still work with it quite a bit. You going to add to that? I've studied Fritz. singing just a little bit. Uh, one little interesting item, one of my uh, former students uh, decided not to play the tuba anymore, but went into singing full time. He's over in London now, and his yeah. teacher over there said, uh, my, you breathe so beautifully. I guess we don't need to work on breathing at all. And that's uh, certainly one thing a tuba player needs to do very well is breathe. And I think vocalists are surprised at uh, just how well we know how to, uh, the whole respiratory function yeah. works. You know, I think before we, uh, before we hear Arnold Jacobs playing uh, celebrated Beelzebub, before that, though, one question in my mind, when I hear a jazz band, watch a jazz band playing, I see the tuba, the bass replaced by the bass, and very often the tuba player plays the bass. And I'm always attracted by that and bewildered by it. Explain that, Harvey. Well, <coughs> in the early uh, 30s, uh, just as the uh, instrument was being con converted from a, a dance band instrument to a... a orchestral instrument, let's say, 
uh, more of a solo instrument. Uh, tuba players and bass players both uh, started to double on, on one another's instrument in order to give themselves more job opportunities, Lovely. obviously. Uh, Arnold Jacobs is a supreme uh, bass player, oh, as a matter of fact, player. in addition to being a great tubist. Uh, this was uh, uh, of that period. I, th I think by the time the 50s came along, the uh, demands of the literature and the orchestral demands of the tubists were such that uh, there were fewer and fewer yeah. uh, doubling so uh, taking place. Well, well, a word about Beelzebub, Arnold. We're going to hear the recording of that. Well, actually, it's a rather light work, and um, it was requested by Colonel Sandelman, at that time the conductor of the Marine Band in Washington, and this was in Gunnison, Colorado, where I performed this. And I had worked it up as an encore piece and, uh, when I would do a recital or if I gave a, what will I say, a, a solo that had more musical value. But it's a rather interesting light work. And it starts out with, uh, give my regards to Broadway. I think that's, <laughs> there are several other versions of that little melody. But it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice light piece. I think you'll enjoy it. Now that's the tuba in all its old well, rotund sound. I enjoyed listening to that myself. I, I was wondering who was playing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as we take our second break, one ask about tubas of high sounds. After this break, resuming with our four tuba virtuosi, Arnold Jacobs, who's the principal tuba of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and Harvey Phillips, who, who professor of tuba at Indiana University in Bloomington, and uh, Fritz Kensick and Richard Fraser, tuba players here, Fritz with the uh, Grant Park Orchestra and teaching at University of Illinois, and Richard Fraser, who's the Chicago Chamber Brass. Before Yvonne Williams, you tell me, Richard, that the tuba has all sorts of voices. I always associate tuba with a deep, deep bass voice. The tuba, uh, and the tuba is an, an instrument that, because of its recent development, Really, it means something different in every country, the word tuba. It seems like in France, if you say the word tuba, you're speaking about a small instrument in C that has six vowels that can go quite low. The instrument that Ravel wrote the, the solo for, the Beadlow solo, in pictures of, at an exhibition. And, or rather not, he wrote it for it, didn't write it for it, but he orchestrated it for the tuba. And uh, there's this type of a tuba that would be more like our euphonium. And then there, there would be, uh, which would be sort of a soprano tuba, you mm. could think of that. And then down to the, to the F tuba, which is the, was the instrument in the 19th century that was in the orchestras of Europe at the time the great romantic composers were writing. And then Richard Wagner, in his ring cycle, thought about uh, having even lower sound, so he incorporated more of a of a, a band type tuba, one that was used in the in the bands, a larger tuba uh, with a deeper sound in B flat, which gave him the the sounds that he wanted for the mysterious parts, like the Fafner tuba solo in the ring cycle. And so we have all of these different kinds of tuba sounds and different mm -hmm. configurations of the tuba. So sometimes the layman is quite bewildered. Yeah. You know, Harvey Phillips says he's looking around for a castrati tuba. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, um, the tuba is very close to the horn and the cornet and the, uh, 
uh, euphonium because we're all conical bore, the brass instrument family being mm -hmm. divided into two uh, distinct uh, uh, categories, the cylindrical bore, which is the trumpet and the trombone and get very brilliant sounds, and the conical bore, which uh, is a cone shape mm -hmm. and gets larger towards the bell as it goes from the, from the lead pipe. This gives those instruments a very mellow quality, mm -hmm. and uh, the tuba in its upper range is very much like the French horn. Mm. And this uh, confuses a lot of uh, symphonic listeners, I think, because they hear uh, a tubist uh, play something like the Beadlow solo uh, in, in uh, pictures of an exhibition, which Richard mentioned earlier. And uh, they say, oh, listen to that horn. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, or they'll hear some of the Berlioz uh, works, which were written originally for Orpheus Clyde, but, but mm. the, the tuba inherited those wonderful parts. Mm. And uh, they say, oh, listen to that horn. Well. Uh, we, we say, and uh, I think with some justification, that the tuba family, the bass tuba is the orchestral tuba. The tenor tuba is the euphonium baritone, which is an octave higher. The alto tuba is sometimes known as the French horn or the horn. The contralto tuba is the uh, flugelhorn. And the soprano tuba is the cornet. Mm. And uh, it, it disturbs some of our cornet friends when we call it the castrati tuba. But it, <laughs> it is at the highest uh, yeah. uh, of the tuba family. Now, now we're going to come, we've been going along and think about the class composers for the tuba. Here's Vaughn Williams and Arnold Jacobs going to play. A word about this, Pat, before we hear it, Arnold. Well, of course, this was written um, for, oh, I think his name, was it uh, Philip Catalanet in London, and um, it was played on a very small tuba of that time, an Imperial Boozy F tuba. And in this recording, just to keep the some legitimacy to it, I did play it on a very small F tuba. And it's a very interesting work for tuba, but uh, I think there have been others that have been written since that I would like to sink my teeth into also. But this, I think, was the starter of the concertos. It's worth hearing. And Vaughn Williams to Arnold Jacobs. You know, I just discovered that Harvey Phillips flew in from Bloomington just for this appearance here on this program to encourage tuba players. He's helped all tuba players. Uh, for many years, he has been the, uh, the prime force behind the organization, TUBA, Tubist Universal Brotherhood Association, and not only that, but all of the other... Is that what it's called? The Tuba Universal like, Brotherhood Association? Yes. <laughs> it's, like a, uh, it's like a guild, uh -huh. or like a professional organization. And uh, we saw quite some time ago that basically the tuba does not have a great image in the mind of the public. And uh, a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about the tuba and its possibilities. Too many times when people think of the tuba, they, in their mind, the first thing that comes is the limitations. Well, the first thing that comes is, is, is Louis, Louis Hungry Five. Yeah. Remember? Well, but, or the Six Fat Dutchman. So we try to, we have, we've tried to, uh, to promote the tuba, and the greatest promoter of the tuba has been Harvey Phillips, and this is just an mm. example of the way that he just drops anything to help us all in our image. We also know that Harvey has to catch that plane back to Bloomington, yeah. so we're going to hear Harvey now, aren't we? Uh, what is this piece of two moods? In 1960, uh, Donald Swan, who had a, a two-man comedy act with uh, 
Flanders, Swan and Flanders, was playing New York, and he called me and introduced himself on the phone and asked me if I would come and read through a work that had been commissioned by Jared Hoffnung of the famed Hoffnung Festivals. And this was to be uh, a work of two funny movements. Uh, so we read through it, and I liked it very much, and I said, do you have a publisher for it? And he said, no. I said, well, I have a publishing company. We'd like to publish this piece. Uh, about a week later, he called me and, uh, with the sad news that Jared Hoffnung had passed away. And uh, in the meantime, we had made plans to record the work. So I said, uh, why don't we change the first movement and make it serious, make it an elegy for Jared Hoffnung? And then the second movement is a scherzo where we never seem to find the key we want to be in. And now we have two moves of Donald Swan, Harvey Phillips. And so that was Harvey Phillips doing the uh, Donald Swan's Two Worlds. We'll take one more break. We're here with Arnold Jacobs, the dean of American, well, certainly tuba players, round and about, and the principal tuba man at the Chicago Symphony. And uh, Harvey Phillips just had to leave to catch that plane teaching at Indiana University. We just heard him. Uh, Fritz Kanzig, who was the teachers at the University of Illinois Circle, uh, not Circle, Champaign-Urbana, of course, and he's the principal tuba at the Grand Park Orchestra, and Richard Frazier, who's tuba with Chicago Chamber Brass, we've heard. And we'll take our last break. And then we gotta hear Charlie Parker, a Charlie Parker piece of Fritz uh, Kanzig and Richard Frazier after this message. You mentioned Charlie Parker. This group is the New York Tuba Quartet. And uh, these guys got together, and I believe it's Toby Hanks, and Steve Johns, and John Stevens, and Sam Falafian. And they, they're doing a little bit of Charlie Parker called Ah Prevoir. But who is this Simone Montier? He was an old baritone player. Do we have time to hear a little Simone Montier? If we could hear just a brief touch of baritone sax, and then we'll hear a Charlie Parker. So that's the euphonium. When was that roughly, do you think, that performance we heard? Oh, I believe that performance was in 1909. That's right. Simone back. Mantilla. Yeah. But now let's hear the Charlie Now Parker. we're going to look into, into some new directions with uh, Charlie Parker in the New York, played by the New York Tubo Quartet. <laughs> Just 
Faded and Charlie Parker. That is that tune from the New York Tuba Quartet. And two of our colleagues here are noodling. Fritz Kainzig and Richard Fraser both noodling. And that's how the show began with the master Arnold Jacobs doing it. And we thank Arnold Jacobs and Harvey Phillips and Fritz Kainzig and Richard Fraser for letting us know all about the tuba. 